Hello and welcome to the Thriving Bull Podcast, the weekly podcast where I discover through conversations with people who are living an international lifestyle and relocation experts what it really takes to thrive abroad. I'm your host, Louise Wiles, an expat, repat, author, and a change and transition coach and consultant. And I'm fascinated by the world of international mobility and cross-cultural living. And a very warm welcome to episode 78 of the Thriving Bull podcast. I'm so happy that you're joining me here today. This is the first in a new series of episodes called Thriving Through Transitions. I have some amazing guests lined up over the next six weeks, all with fascinating stories to share about their international adventures and what has helped them to ride the waves of transition and thrive in their international lives. I hope you enjoy the series. Now, I will be sharing additional resources, such as a super helpful show notes, via the Thriving Abroad newsletter. So, go to the thrivingabroad.com website to register for the newsletter. That way we can stay connected and you won't miss out on the latest podcast alerts and related content. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by David McNeil from Expat Empire. Now, David had a passion for international living from an early age, and this conversation is packed full of cultural insights and seriously practical advice for creating thriving international lives. He draws on his journey through Singapore, China, Japan, Germany, and now Portugal to share his insights. As the founder of Expat Empire, David McNeil is focused on inspiring people to move abroad and showing them how to do it. Enjoy this conversation. So hello, David. Lovely to have you joining the Thriving Abroad Conversation today. Yes, thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, it's really, really excited to talk to you today. Um, David runs a platform business called Expat Empire, which supports people who are considering relocating to live abroad and also in the process to support them through the actual relocation process. So I'm really excited to hear about your personal experience of relocation. I know you've lived around the world and the lessons that you've learned, the insights that you can share today, David. Um, Definitely. just... Just to start, you know, given the year that we have all had, I'm recording this in December 2020. Mm-hmm. I, I know, obviously, there has been a drop off in in people relocating, particularly corporate relocations. Right. And I imagine that people are going to be thinking quite carefully about international moves. I'm just interested to to know whether you've noticed people thinking in different ways about moves, or has it all been pretty much the same? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's a great question. And um, I'm, I'm sure it's on top of everyone in the relocation industry's mind right now. I think the change has been a bit more toward thinking about what peop- what everyone wants to do after this situation clears up a little bit. And uh, my focus is, of course, I'm interested in the opportunity as far as helping people relocate in terms of corporate relocations. But my focus has been more on individuals and trying to help them to figure out what possibilities might exist for them abroad, how they might be able to find jobs abroad, what visas could work in their scenarios. And of course, that can include people that are doing remote work, digital nomads, things like that. So um, it's people who, you know, kind of from all walks of life, it could be somebody who indeed wants to find a new job abroad, take their 
job from their home country and work internationally, start up their own business, retire abroad. So lots of different profiles. And so from that standpoint, it's really, uh, you know, people now maybe aren't moving as much, but they're really thinking about what's next for me as it comes into 2021, 22. And what I think I do a bit differently than a lot of folks out there is focus really on that planning and initial thinking through the country possibilities, the visa possibilities, where they can, you know, ultimately achieve their goals and dreams. And so from that standpoint, I still think that there, there are a lot of people and perhaps even more making those plans or thinking through things as it relates to now this new paradigm that we have around remote work and digital nomads and so forth. So I think that we'll see you know, that sort of latent desire uh, and, and drive to be able to be abroad and have more location independence coming into the next months and years. And so I'm excited to be able to take part in that and mm -hmm. you know, at this stage just help people think through their options. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and no, I've noticed that too, quite a lot of people talking about it. And I guess what 2020 has done is given people time and space to think about what they are doing with their lives and, and exactly. they want to make changes. And I guess that kind of, yeah, encourages people to think differently. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things pan out next year. Agreed. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're, we're, all, we're all waiting to see. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, so... Um, I know that you have lived internationally, you've relocated a number of times to different places around the world. So I'd like to take our listeners on your international journey and um, to sort of pick up your lessons learned along the way and the insights you've taken from that journey. So sure. tell us a little bit about what sort of caused you or in, inspired you to move initially and where your journey began. Yeah, it's, it is hard to sometimes figure out exactly where these drives or instincts come from. But I suppose since I was quite young, I mean, I grew up in the United States. So I, and, and, you know, I never lived abroad until, um, I guess, you know, you could say maybe my first experience living abroad for a few months was a study abroad in Singapore when I was in university. So, you know, born and raised completely in the United States. So I didn't have that opportunity when I was a young child to have to be able to grow up abroad. But I, I was able to travel a lot with my family and just see a lot of the world. I mean, you know, a trip to Europe here, or Mexico, going on some cruises and things like that. So nothing major, but of course, was fortunate to have that opportunity. And I also developed an interest in Japan when I was quite young. I started studying Japanese when I was 12 years old. And the reason for that was just I started really enjoying Japanese culture, the animation, the games, a lot of things that got people into Japan back in the day. And I think I just started taking it a little bit more seriously, or I guess a lot more seriously than my friends who were interested in the same things was for me, it was kind of like, wow, this seems like a cool country, a cool culture. How can I be able to, uh, I don't know, take part in it more or appreciate it more and be able to do it in the native language. And of course, that took many, many, many years of study. I couldn't do that very quickly. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's really kind of where it started for me. And Japan was the driving goal from the very beginning. So I went to Japan for the first time when I was 17 on a one-month trip around uh, with language study, seeing lots of cities, doing a little homestay. Came back absolutely uh, amazed by what I saw. It was far beyond even my wildest dreams. And so I just came back, you know, ready to hit the ground running even harder with my Japanese studies and 
deciding ultimately to study finance as well as Japanese or you know East Asian languages and cultures with the focus in Japanese uh, at the University of Texas at Austin. And in terms of actually making my life abroad happen from there, I did, as I mentioned, study abroad in Singapore for a semester. I didn't do Japan because of the program that was available through my university and the timing of it. Mm. But coming out of that, I, I did try to start my career in Japan, but I just couldn't manage to find that position. Uh, I, I got close on many interviews. I really tried to track opportunities down, but it didn't happen. And I took a piece of advice from one of the interviewers, actually, from a job that I ultimately didn't get, but I was in the final few candidates for. And she had told me, it's great that you have this interest in Japan and Japanese, and you have this you know, uh, experience traveling around there. So you should really keep that and focus on it, but start your career in the United States and get some experience in a US-based company, see how you can leverage that in an international context, possibly even Japan. So I took that to heart. I started my career in the US in investment banking as an analyst for two and a half years. I moved from first Charlotte, North Carolina to San Francisco uh, and started working at a uh, startup there, a mobile gaming company. And I didn't think about it when I joined, but they did have some international offices. And so about eight or nine months after I joined, now in a new career and just kind of kind of getting my bearings in San Francisco, the opportunity came for uh, people to go for three months to either Vancouver or Beijing to work at those offices with the local teams. So I thought, great, this is my opportunity. Let's do it. I said, I'm open to either of these. They needed more people in Beijing. So that's where I was headed. Had a great three-month experience there. And um, then I came back. I said, please send me back for longer. I want more. This is, you know, this is the future. Maybe it wasn't Japan after all. It was China. Mm -hmm. I started studying some Chinese, you know, just keeping my mind open. Mm. And uh, I got laid off a few weeks later. So that oh. came as a surprise. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. And uh, I saw kind of that whole vision of going back to China disappear in front of me. But yeah. I thought, you know, this isn't the, the end of the road for me. This is just the beginning as far as trying to live and work abroad. So I took a trip around Europe for nine weeks. And as I did that in my unemployment, I was also taking interviews with companies in China and Japan. And yeah, long story, although it's already been a long story, but long story short, I got the opportunity to move to Japan, to Tokyo with uh, ASICS or Essex, depending on where you're from, the, the sportswear company, and work on their digital products and the global digital marketing team. So that was back in 2014. And yeah, since then, I have spent two years in Tokyo, three years in Berlin, and one year now in Porto, Portugal. And of course, I can dig into those experiences more as it's helpful. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. So it's really interesting um, how that kind of played out from your sort of interest at age 17 and mm -hmm. sort of vision. And I think it's probably a bit of a lesson in life for people <laughs> that yeah. things don't happen immediately. But if you keep on and um, yeah, things have a way of, of, of working out. I um, think they do. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was always in the back of my mind and just trying to figure out how to make it happen. But I, I would also say, when I joined uh, as an investment banking analyst and when I, like I said, when I moved to San Francisco and started working at that company, it wasn't that it was out of my head, this idea of being able to work abroad, but it wasn't the driving force. And I'm really thankful for having you know, the opportunity being the right place at the right time mm -hmm. to get to go mm -hmm. back to Beijing, for example, uh, yeah. for three months and then really realizing like that fire was still there. It kind of reminded mm -hmm. me 
you know, and, and that even though that opportunity didn't ultimately work out longer term, it just made me want to spend the time that I could to investigate opportunities abroad indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talking about Japan then, so what, did, what was it that kind of really attracted you to, to Japan and, and sort of the Japanese culture? And you talked about how, how it inspired you when you went for your, your um, months Right. Um, trip when you were 17 so what what was it that's grabbed you so much in terms of your yeah. imagination I, I think it's one of those things that I've told people over the years because I've been asked the question of course by friends and family and you know anyone else that's heard about my experiences in Japan and it's hard to wrap up into to a succinct idea or sentence or anything like that but most people that ask I try to just say have you been there before and then they'll say no. And I say, come and talk to me after you visited. <laughs> you know, And uh, it's, of course, not everyone has that opportunity. But I guess to put something a little bit maybe more accessible on it for people that haven't visited, mm-hmm. it is uh, the furthest, I believe, one of the furthest places that you can get as far, uh, culturally speaking, from the United States, for example, or just general, I guess, Western culture. Yeah. That is also extremely safe, extremely comfortable, very welcoming, you know, first world developed country. So mm-hmm. it's, it's uh, I, I think people some like me maybe try to go to places in Asia, especially places like China and Japan, for example, that are just so culturally different to just be totally out of your element and kind of hanging on <laughs> just <laughs> for dear life and seeing how, how things go and trying to make your way there and not necessarily reinvent, but just, just to take it all in and adapt along the way. And I think it takes a certain type of maybe person and what they're looking for to be able to make it work as best as it possibly can. And of course there's a lot of hardships as well, but uh, it is, so completely unique and so different that there's always something new to explore right around the corner culturally or, you know, uh, food wise, um, holidays and events and making friendships with locals and other expats there that are doing different things. So it's truly uh, compelling, you know, for me from afar. And then when I saw it up close, I just thought like, I need more of this, you know, I just (laughs) was just scratching the surface really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because I know quite a number of people who've, who've lived in in Japan and they have this real affection. I think it's more than an affection. It's this connection, this, mm-hmm. um, uh, it, it, yeah, it kind of affects people in a, a, in a very deep, at a very deep level, I think, um, when, yeah. when they've lived there for a while, Japan. And I'm interested, you say that, you know, it, it can be quite challenging Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I know there's a podcast I did. I'll put a link to it with um, Nicole Webb, and she moved to a tier two city in China, and um, she sort of shared her story of that experience. And I think probably it was, there might be different locations, but similar concept in that it was so culturally different from anything she'd ever experienced before. But it it really took a lot to to adjust and to and settle I suppose in that new culture what do you think people need from a mindset perspective people need to have when they make this kind of move or when they're considering making this kind of move you know what what do they need to be thinking about in terms Mm. of their approach 
Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, there's certainly, I'm sure, many possible or many good answers to that question. But I would say really an openness and a willingness to dive in and be a part of it. I mean, you won't necessarily get that chance all the time in Japan. And, you know, I can't speak too much on China, though I have a few months experience there. But it Japan is definitely, as of yet, still, you know, a place that uh, can be quite hard to feel like a local or like a uh, fully accepted. I mean, to be an insider versus an outsider, that's an important part of the Japanese culture as well. And mm -hmm. of course, people are, can be quite welcoming. And, you know, most people uh, stay, say that they come back from a trip to Japan and, oh, the Japanese people were so welcoming, so nice, so polite. Wow, wonderful, wonderful. And it's true. There's a real um, appreciation for delivering good service, delivering good quality, making people feel comfortable, being very polite. But when you just try to get underneath that surface level interaction, which is most of what people see in a tourist situation, it can be hard to make those close bonds. And I look back at the time there, and of course, I had a lot of international foreign expat co-workers, and that's also some of the people that you end up hanging out with, similar types of people, um, foreigners outside of work as well. But I did make an effort to make some local friends, and I've made some incredible uh, relationships, incredible friendships there. That some some of which I still, you know, definitely keep in touch today. But on the other hand, maybe not quite as many as I did, for example, in Germany or in Portugal. And so I guess I can see that more in hindsight. That challenge of really being fully accepted, and just to give an example. Uh, when I moved to Germany, they, of course, immediately expect you to be able to fluently speak German, <laughs> which <laughs> was was not something that I could do. And ultimately, I never really made it there, which, you know, we can talk about that later. But <laughs> in Japan, if you can say three words of Japanese, if you can pick up chopsticks and use them, which I think a lot of Americans, are, you know, <laughs> from all over the world Chocolate. can do now, then uh, not everyone can, but a lot of people can. So it's just, you know, then they just sort of applaud and are amazed at your <laughs> abilities. And that's such a, on the one hand, it's really nice. I mean, it feels good. But then on the other hand, after a while, you feel like, you know, I've been here for how many years now? I fluently speak your language. <laughs> I have tried all the food. I can definitely use my chopsticks. And you're, you're just kind of like, can we move on to... <laughs> <laughs> me, me being a local here like <laughs> so I don't know those are just some thoughts that come to mind with yeah. some of the challenges yeah. moving there well no, I think that's a really important point and I guess that is something for people to consider when they're choosing a location mm -hmm. um, because there will be a variation in yeah sort of acceptance I suppose of foreigners I think also it depends on where you're going in, in a country as well you know if you're in a big city yes. which is an international field then you're probably going to find it easier than if you're in a <laughs> small remote, remote village where the, you're the only one although that could work in your favor too so I, I, I guess it just does depend I know from talking to other people who've done similar things that you know they've kind of said they've just had to make the decision that they were going to throw themselves into it and really mm -hmm. you know Get, step out of their comfort zone in every way to, to create new connections and so I think if you're choosing to go to somewhere that perhaps has this this characteristic you know it's more difficult to to really 
um, connect locally that right. you just have to be prepared to make a big, big effort. Otherwise, you're going to be a bit lonely. Yeah, I would also, I yeah, I would also just recommend in general, maybe as opposed to being completely outgoing, I mean, especially in a place like Japan, being completely outgoing on the louder side, more talkative. I think it's maybe a better fit. And certainly in the initial days, as you figure things out, you start to understand the culture, you start to make relationships and maybe learn some of the language, hopefully. But I think it's better to come in with more of a listener's mindset mentality mm-hmm. and just not be the first to act because <laughs> probably they will give you some direction if it's a business dinner or something like that. Like there are certain things that if you're not aware of it or how it works, or even if you've read it in a book, you might not see understand it until you experience it a few times in person. So whenever those situations would come up, even with my Japanese abilities, even having studied um, the culture for so many years and even living there for a while, I would usually kind of stick to the back of the group and just see mm-hmm. where I was directed mm-hmm. to go and let other people act first. And okay, if somebody's doing this, then maybe that's how I need to do it. And just having a bit of a uh, bit more reserved, um, yeah. you know, personality or sort of demeanor, especially in the initial months, uh, just to be able to, once you have those relationships, once you understand how things are going, once you get the language down a bit, then maybe things can, you know, become a bit more comfortable, but it, Really, even in Japan, it takes quite a long time and sometimes never happens to where you're able to comfortably call people by their first name because mm-hmm. it tends to be, you know, last name with San at the end. Um, yeah. So yeah. that's just one example. But even close friends, you know, for many, many years, are maybe don't get to that point. And so, of course, they'll be perhaps more open with the fact that, oh, you know, for example, you're from America, they use first name there. They would always call me Dibito-san, you know, they would use my first name. Um, but you wouldn't necessarily want to do that back to them. It's almost, it's it's funny that way, but these are the things that you learn along the way. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good piece of advice. So step back and, and observe, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and learn a bit about what's going on and observe. Um, develop your awareness uh, first before jumping in yeah great so then Germany so in in comparison then Mm -hmm. um, if people were thinking about relocating to Germany what advice would you give them in terms of you know the cultural challenges you said language language is one so you kind of need to be able to speak German to make it in Germany is that true or does it depend on where you are and the roles that you're involved in yeah, I think it does depend. So I was in Berlin, and that's a very you know international place, especially in the last 10 years. It's really become, I guess mm-hmm. as a lot of your listeners would know, a hotspot for, for startups, for tech companies, for foreigners coming over. And I mean, I was part of that as well. So 100%, mm-hmm. that was me too. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, and I didn't know really much German and a lot of what brought me there was this idea of an English speaking job in the middle of Europe in a cool city. So when I I mentioned, for example, that I had done the nine week trip around Europe, one city that really stuck out in my mind was Berlin. And it always was in my head, even though I was excited about being in Japan, that was my goal. That was my dream. I just thought, you know, if it doesn't work out or if for one reason or another decide that I want to move somewhere else, then Berlin's probably the next place for me. So I'd heard a lot of good things about it, even from other foreign expats that were in Tokyo, for example, that were coming from Berlin or had lived there. 
So I think you can be successful in some context without much German ability, but I also would 100% say that it would have been better if I had a more long-term perspective, it would have been better for me to have dug in more and learned more German and gotten more comfortable with it because just things like checking your mail, which is always, all the letters are going to be in German. So then dealing with that and how do you manage to translate that? So I ended up having to copy it in by hand, uh, well, typing into Google Translate to see what the, the gist of it was, which usually was yet another fee or another late notice or, you know. So those are some of the things that, uh, or even going to the doctor's office and then, okay, maybe you say the doctor may be able to speak English and not 100%, but mm. there's a good chance. But then all the people at the front desk probably don't or may not. Um, depends where you go and so on. There's more and more English speaking places or you know, foreigner focused spots that are opening up. So that might be a possibility. But I think the language is, uh, is important to learn there. And I always had kind of a mentality that Berlin, Germany wasn't the place for me long-term. I just wanted to have that experience there because I thought the city was so cool and I could, I, I found a job there. So it all worked out. But if you do have a more long-term view of, okay, Germany is the spot that, that I want to be in, then I think it's great to invest further in the language, even if you're in Berlin. And that's not to say for the rest of Germany, which it's much more important, significantly yeah. more important to learn German. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then after Germany, you moved to where you are now, which is Portugal. So mm -hmm. what, what led you to Portugal? Yeah, uh, I think it was a little bit of comparing First week, you know, we were compare, or I was comparing uh, Japan to Germany and saw some of the more difficult uh, challenges there, which <laughs> were some, I mean, in a way I could make some, you know, local friends and things like that, but I found the German culture to be quite rigid and strict, which is true in Japan as well, except in Japan, it does feel like they try to help you, whereas in Germany, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily feel the same way, to be completely honest. So I think it was some of the harshness of the culture and dealing with that on a, on a daily basis. Yeah. Berlin I suppose, was I suppose in Japan, you have, that, you have that underlying politeness, do you, that kind of yeah. can make and, it seem more gentle. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that, that was the, the biggest culture shock for me moving from Japan to Germany was just feeling this intense difference between going from one of the most polite customer focused societies I've ever lived in mm. a, into a place where it's really, you have to fend for yourself at all times. And I had to develop <laughs> a lot thicker skin. I mean, that, that is something I think your listeners should know about Germany. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so. really interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, I've hardly experienced Germany, so I don't, I can't really comment on that, but um, yeah. I, I can, I can imagine. Yes. Yeah. So then, and, so then, then Portugal's a happy yeah. medium, is it? <laughs> yeah, so it was basically coming from that experience along with the six months of grey and rain and so on that you can get in <laughs> Berlin. Uh, after a couple of years of that, I think it weighed on me a bit. And during the time that I was in Berlin, I met my wife. Uh, well, we got married and now we're yeah married couple. So we were kind of mm -hmm. deciding what was next for us. And we had talked about Portugal and she had this great image of it, but had never been there. I visited at the end of my trip around Europe. And so together we, uh, we took a trip for one week in October of 2018 
we absolutely loved it. We went, I think, three days to Porto, four days to Lisbon, something like that. And we just went with this mindset of, is this a place that we would want to live? It was already something we were thinking about, but we really wanted to investigate it firsthand, see, see what was maybe more interesting about the two cities, which we would prefer to be in and so on. And we came back from that really energized about the idea of being in Portugal. And it took a year to make it happen, but I managed to get a job here. And yeah, we moved on November 5th, 2019. So it's just been, yeah, about 13 months, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I oh, absolutely can relate to that, having lived in Portugal for many years. Um, and what, what, what I'm, I'm really interested, to, as I hear you talking you know, through your moves and your locations, and particularly that last one, did did you when thinking through what location would be next for you did you had you thought through a sort of list of criteria did you have that in your mind yeah 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 Yeah, definitely um there were a lot of aspects to it and there were a lot of countries that we put on the list as potential targets Mm. so in my last job search coming out of berlin trying to figure out what was next for us it wasn't just that we looked specifically in portugal in fact i was not too sure if it would work out. It was still, it felt like a bit of the pipe dream, like a bit of the thing that we saw at the end of the tunnel, but we weren't quite sure if we'd reach it. So (laughs) I also uh, applied to many jobs in uh, places like Amsterdam, Barcelona, um, of course, Porto and Lisbon, Copenhagen, uh, even Tallinn, Estonia. Um, Trying to think if there were any others. There were a couple, you know, jobs here or there in Austria, places like that. But (laughs) those were... I think most of the main spots that we looked and this is the the one that worked out was here in Porto and I'm super, super thankful that it did. And that's, that's where we ended up. But those types of factors that we looked at were definitely job opportunities. Um, Well, how comfortable the place was, if it was interesting, if there was, you know, a lot of stuff going on that we would find fun to do, you know, good beer, good coffee, restaurants, um, concerts good travel things like that and uh, what we thought maybe about the general uh, people like I mentioned we had some of those struggles in Germany for in our case mm-hmm. and so all of those things uh, well, there were others as well for example I- I'm really trying to work toward getting a second passport so that I don't have to deal with this visa thing every time that I move countries <laughs> and so looking at even things like the immigration policy what you need to be able to apply mm. for citizenship how many years and I was also on the EU blue card when I was in Germany and that allows you to add up the years that you're in different countries across EU member states together towards your permanent residence or citizenship well I guess permanent res- residence actually then the yeah. citizenship rules will you know override that based on the country that you're in So I also thought about that. And for example, I believe in in Copenhagen, I would not have been able to apply those years, the three years I lived in Germany towards that. Of course, ultimately, I found out in Portugal, I had a lot of trouble doing the same thing. So I ended up having to start over anyway, but at least it's five years here as opposed to eight years in Denmark. So, you know, there, there were a lot of different factors, obviously cost of living, where it was in terms of within Europe and how easy, you know, uh, airports as well. Was it easy to get to some different locations? We still love travel. So there were a ton of things that we thought through and this is the one that worked out and definitely checked the boxes most for us. So I'm super thankful, but 
it could have just as easily in a way ended up being another city another country Mm-hmm. And in terms of being a sort of cultural, culturally in the in the middle between Japan and mm-hmm. and Germany, have you found that to be true? Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. Um, we were very touched by just how warm and kind and helpful people were here. the The pace of life is definitely a bit slower than you'd find in Japan, for example, which is mm-hmm. good and bad depending on what you're looking for. But uh, we found the people to be very warm, and I I was kind of so impressed by the country coming back from that trip in 2018 that I reached out to some ex-colleagues that were from Portugal or, you know, had spent some time living and working here. Mm-hmm. And by and large, they really said, what you see is what you get in terms of, I, I was almost like, there must be more downsides, really. I was trying to <laughs> mine for the the juice, like what, what's, what, it couldn't possibly be this good. And, you know, that it's not, it's not always all roses, but it is a fantastic place and true to their um, feedback, we found it to be very similar to how we found it as tourists. And I think that's an incredible thing to stay, say because it's often not the case. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's often the advice I give people, you know, don't use your trip as a tourist as your as, mm-hmm. as definite proof that somewhere is going to be right for you for, for right. your life. Yeah, um, fantastic. Right, so... Um, Lots of tips and insights there into sort of your thought processes between you know around how why and 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 what you would think about as you plan to move on from one location to the next, which I think would be really helpful to people listening who are thinking of the same. I'm wondering whether you could share some of the questions that people you think people should, you know some of the most important questions people should be asking themselves when thinking about an international move. Yeah, I, if I were to pick. One, which I'll go through a couple, but I think the number one thing is to determine what type of lifestyle that you want to have abroad. And that has two components, although it ultimately all goes into your finances. But what income do you have? Or, of course, what savings do you have? Where is that income coming from? And also, what expenses should you project out in terms of the lifestyle that you're wanting to have? If you're expecting to go to hotel brunches for both days on every weekend, you know, uh, going to the Michelin starred restaurants, taking big uh, shopping trips around Europe or wherever it is that you're looking to go to, then that's going to be a very different cost of living and ultimately expenses at the end of the month, depending on how much you're cutting into your savings or how much you're making over that in terms of your income compared to trying to live more like a local, I guess, and, and, you know, not travel too much or travel to local cities around the country itself or nearby country, by car, by bus, uh, just just doing things in your neighborhood and keeping a more minimalist existence. So yeah. I think it's a quite, it's quite personal. It's quite unique based on your situation. And even on the income side, are you going to get a local job? Because then you have to deal with local salaries. Are you going to have a job from abroad? Are you going to be able to do that tax-wise, legally with that employer? Are you getting a pension? you know, do you have to work, what do you have to worry about in terms of your tax situation as it relates to getting those pension payments from abroad? Are there deals, the tax reduction schemes or tax treaties or things that you can apply in your case? So there's so many different factors that go into that in terms of your preferences for the lifestyle and the income that you have coming in. But I think doing a deep soul search in terms of what's the life that you're really looking for and will that place be able to provide it to you? Because if the answer is no, 
don't get too heartbroken because there's plenty of other countries out there where it may work. But that would be really disappointing to go through the process of a very intense process of moving abroad. It's definitely not easy. It takes many months. I say it takes a year for people to be really comfortable, set up, you know, have their network, have their friends, professional, personal, and everything sorted, immigration, healthcare, all of the stuff that you have to do. So don't, don't take the move lightly. And I think doing that thinking and investigating and researching and calculating work up front will just pay dividends down the road in terms of your happiness with your new life and your success. So I think that's number one. And that's something that people can start doing today. If that's, uh, if they just have a seat in their head of, I want to go abroad. I mean, there's so many possibilities and indeed so many factors to take into account. Uh, if I were to provide a couple other thoughts in short, it would be what is your real lifestyle going to look like versus the one that's in your head? It's related to the expense point that I made just a second ago, but I think especially I, I'd even put myself in this boat for Japan. I was a tourist there. I loved it so much. I had a lot of concerns that it, it would not be a place that I would love living based on the culture, especially working there, which is a whole different situation, right? So if you're working a full-time job, and especially if you're expected to work late hours, whatever your situation is, then it's going to be very different than just hanging out at a cafe or a bar all day, which might be kind of the nice lifestyle that you have in mind. <laughs> and just being more realistic about your expectations. Uh, and then, of course, maybe I'll add one other thing, which is how do you feel that you'll fit in with the culture? And this is something that my wife and I took seriously as we thought through our options, as I mentioned, all these different countries. And we had pretty, or at least I put together, I would say, because I'm a pro and con list creator by heart, uh, <laughs> I just put together these lists for, oh, the pros of this country or this city versus another one. And really thinking through, okay, would I fit into this culture? And the worst that can happen, or the, the worst case scenario is that you find out in fact that you don't fit in and you can always make another move or make an adjustment. And I think for me with Japan, I decided in the end, I wanted to know firsthand by my own experience, whether or not I fit into the culture, as opposed to always having a what if in the back of my mind, maybe it'll work, maybe it wouldn't. So just try it out. Indeed, take this, those trips if you can to see the place in person. That's not required, but I think it's a good step. Mm -hmm. Do your research, talk to people who've lived there, talk to people who are from there, if you can make those connections. If you're thinking about trying to find a job abroad, then put out your feelers, see what opportunities there are, because you can use things like LinkedIn or country-specific websites to find what opportunities there might be. Just drop your resume because it's, you know, you never know until you try and maybe something will click for you. So those are just some thoughts that come to mind as I think about how people should think about starting to approach their move abroad. Yeah, brilliant. I love the, um, the the sense that you give there that, you know, this is a, a longer term project. It's not something that you decide one day and do the next. Although some people do, I know. Um, but I guess you need to think carefully about the type of person you are as well and um, how much you are likely to enjoy just jumping in <laughs> without too much research and, 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 and just playing it as it goes. But you know, I'd always say exactly as you say, take time to research and um, and also what has come through to me as you've spoken is that flexible mindset around mm -hmm. 
well, let's let's go with this. Let's try it. Let's see how it plays out. But then always be open to a different opportunity uh, and a different you're moving on in a different way. So I think that's an important one. And I'd also yeah. add, have a, always have a fallback plan. So right. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, don't invest everything into that one move in case it does all go belly up and you're then stranded. Um, and I think that's perhaps been something that people have realised this year a bit. Mm. Um, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. I, I think, yeah, I, I not even speaking to the struggles that I'm sure many have gone through this year, and I'm fortunate to have made the move last year, of course, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful for that situation. But I have just had a global mindset. I think uh, even going back to that experience studying abroad in Singapore when I was in university, I always had, as I mentioned, Japan at the front of my mind. But then I had this experience in Singapore, and it was incredible. I mean, I made friends with classmates. I made friends with other um, study abroad students. We did tons of trips around Southeast Asia in those four months. We had great, just a great, unbelievable time. And I loved the country. I loved all the countries I got to visit. And it showed me that I didn't need to be tied to any one place. And I think it's great if people have that, their, their Japan, you know, if they have their uh, country in mind, if that's Italy or France or the UK or wherever, US, wherever that is, I think it's fantastic. But keeping that open mindset toward other opportunities, things that might work out better given your financial or immigration situation, things that could be interesting or fun in ways that you maybe didn't expect or plan for. I think that flexibility in terms of not just making the first choice of where you're moving, but thinking about indeed is what, what if this isn't the final spot for me? What if I want to move somewhere else? And it doesn't mean to always be, I, I don't want to, people to necessarily spend too much time thinking what's next, what's next, what's next, because then you're not enjoying what's in front of you. But it is good, as you say, of course, to have a plan B and to think about, uh, well, not just having the finances to make that happen in such a case as we've seen this year, but also if you do need to make another move again for one reason or another, it's just not fitting with you, it's not working, you're not able to find the next job, whatever it is, um, it's, it's great to have that goal in mind when that when the time comes yeah yeah and I suppose underlying that is that you know moving abroad you're you're taking on and and opening yourself to lots of exciting new opportunities but also you're raising the risk level slightly mm-hmm. I don't mean to say that in a scary way but just to be cognizant of that and, and aware that you know, that means that at some point you might need to be flexible and make different decisions and, and just be prepared for that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And and around the immigration timelines as well. For mm, example, yeah. when I was uh, looking for jobs coming from Germany, I had through my EU blue card, I had three months to figure out if I, you know, get another job essentially, which I elongated mm. to fairly easily to six months but if I hadn't found it by then, uh, whether that was still to stay in Germany or ultimately to move somewhere else, which is what happened, mm-hmm. then what is the plan C or D or yes. E, which might have been going back to the US for me, for example, which I'm not yeah. saying is a horrible <laughs> outcome, but not in line with what I wanted to do. So no. just being realistic about that and the timelines involved. And of course, some countries won't give you 
six months to figure out what you're going to do next, even if you have the savings, even if you've been there for three no. years. No. So it's good to be aware of all that going in. Yeah. And I suppose alongside that, you know, sometimes you have to take a slight step back in order to move forward. So <laughs> mindset sure. around that as well. Yeah. Definitely. Brilliant. Well, um, just tell everyone a little bit more about Expat Empire then and the work that you do um, through Expat Empire and how people can get in touch with you. Yeah, definitely. So I started Expat Empire just about two and a half years ago with the launch of the website, as well as my book, Passport to Working in Japan, which was all about my time working in Japan and trying to help other people to be able to get there if that was their goal. So that's where it started. Now it's also added the Expat Empire podcast, the uh, Expat Empire Porto meetup, when hopefully more cities in the future as things open up a bit some blog posts, but most importantly, individualized consulting services to help people to take their next step abroad. So there's basically five services that we tend to offer, although it depends naturally on the situation of each individual client, but it tends to be, for example, a one hour consulting call about the best practices and things that you need to keep in mind based on the destination that you want to move to, if you have that in mind already, uh, to be able to make that move. Then working with you to figure out what country would best fit your interests or your requirements, your preferences, if you don't already have one in mind. Then uh, visa planning to figure out what visa opportunities would be open to you to move to that country or if you're more flexible to other countries as well. And just taking an overall look at your visa potential situation, which can include lots of different types of visas across different countries in Europe, for example. Um, then there's international job search to help people find jobs abroad if that's what they're trying to do, as well as the timeline planning service, which I think is quite cool because it's a step-by-step -step checklist of the things that you need to do before, during, and after your move to make that move a success. So those are the typical services that we offer, but ultimately we're offering a free 30-minute consulting call for people that reach out through our website, which is at expatempire.com. So feel free to drop us a line there. We'll set up a call and love to chat with you further about your goals, your dreams about living abroad and seeing how we can help you to achieve them. Brilliant, well, thank you. Um, so I will put all those links on the blog post associated with this post as well. So go to thrivingbroad.com and look for this interview with David. So thank you so much, David. I've really enjoyed the conversation today and learning all about your, your international journey and, and lessons learned and insights. It's been fantastic, really helpful. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a, a pleasure. You're welcome. Bye-bye. And thank you so much for listening. So many helpful insights and tips for building thriving lives abroad, I think, from this conversation. And one thing that really resonated with me was what David said about his time in Japan. While he obviously loved the experience and had a great affinity for the Japanese culture, he acknowledged that it can also be difficult. As he said, there's a lot of hardship as well, but it is so completely different that there's always something new to explore right around the corner culturally. And I think this is a hint at the kind of mindset that really helps when working through times of transition, be it an international move or coping with the changes that result from challenging times like now, as we all grapple with the impact of the pandemic on our lives. You know, hardships will arise, struggle will be a part of most transitions. But if we're able to keep a focus on what's around us and what else can be of interest or a source of positivity, then that can really help us to find a path through. 
And David also shared good advice about setting up for success, checking in with the kind of lifestyle we want to create, setting realistic expectations and being real about the possibilities. Some things will work out, others not. And it's good to have that open mindset and be ready to pivot slightly when needed. So many, many thanks once again to David for sharing his experience and insights. Now next week, I will share my conversation with Kieran Smedley. Now Kieran has a wealth of experience as a coach supporting people through career and life transitions. And this is a conversation full of really practical insights built on a lifetime of professional and personal experience. Kieran also gets the experience of international relocation as she relocated from the UK to Australia five years ago. So I wish you a really good week wherever you are in the world. Remember to go and register for the newsletter so I can keep in touch and send you a link for today's show notes. If I can be of any support to you, then please email me louise at louisewild.com and I'll get straight back in touch. Okay.